coming up. What an excellent day for foreshadowing. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 43 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Sharon saying, was he acting up? And it ends with Chris saying... Reagan? Yes. Almost ended on the iconic line, but there was a little more to go. Um, mm-hmm. So, so we'll have to we'll have to open our minute with that line. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I- if you'll remember, folks, uh, Chris and Sharon had just finished saying goodbye to Burke. Goodbye, Burke. Bye, Burke. See, See you, you next week. Yeah. Yep. See you on set. <laughs> have a nice trip. See you next fall. <laughs> Uncle Tito's, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. His head all the way around. All the way around. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Jesuit Dean? Okay, so, yeah, so saying goodbye to Burke. Um, and uh, we do hope someone was driving him home. I think I think Louie was. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so as Chris and Sharon prepare to rejoin the party, Sharon comments that he was acting up, which Chris thinks is an understatement. And she says flying is what he was, which mm-hmm. I have never heard used as a euphemism for acting up at a party or being drunk. Um, we were just talking about that in the last minute, like different ways to say uh, someone was drunk. But does that sound weird to you? Flying? Like, well, oh boy, Burke had a little too much to drink and now he's really <laughs> flying. Well, you certainly know what she means when she says it, right? I've never heard anyone say that. But yeah, yeah, very seventies, maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, Burke was far out, guys. They used to say things that that I think that we don't do anymore. Where they used to say for drunk that he was really high, right? And we don't say that anymore. We so you see that sometimes in old movies he was really high, and sometimes our students are like he was high. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> he was. We'd say drunk and high is for drugs. Right, right. So right, yeah, today high exclusively refers to like being high, like on um, like on some other drug that's you know that's not alcohol, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, in this case, uh, yeah, Burke was flying. Flying. Right, just just flying through those red lights. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so in any case, Chris checks herself um, in the mirror before she wrecks herself. Because um, <laughs> she's worried she's insane. In, in it, did, it, just, it just popped into my head. I had to, I had to say it. Captain Harry was like, say it, say it. Um, I once they, saw somebody, I once saw somebody say that um, like, like seriously in an almost fight. What? Like, boy, you better, like, like for real, like, like getting up in someone's face and saying, boy, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I don't know how, how the other guy didn't just like laugh at him. Right I, there. I was like, going to say, is that how the fight ended with just like both of them? <laughs> like laughing. Just they, they, they laugh and they hug each other like, oh boy. Oh boy. Aren't we a couple of uh, silly billies? <laughs> a couple of silly billies, Billy Friedkin and, 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 and Ben. Yeah, Billy, Billy Blatty. Billy Blatty. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> So yeah, she, she checks herself in the mirror and, uh, then they rejoin the party, which is still going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Burke is not the life of the party. Um, he is, uh, he's, he's not life life related in any way. (laughs) I'm not spoiling anything. Oh no. I'll never tell. Um, (laughs) But it's, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like the after party almost, right? Like it's a, it's a much more scaled down version. And I think, I think we're going to assume that part of the part of this smaller group now is the senator and his wife, yeah. which would mean that uh, not only are these the people who are the coolest people to stay this long mm. at the party, but they're also the most important, powerful people who came to the party. Yes. Yeah. The right. astronaut, the Jesuit dean, the senator and his wife. Right. Oh, and the famous psychic. Yes. Mary Jo Perrin, famous psychic. Um, you were listening to everybody and I was just thinking like, uh, what is it? Um, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier Spy. <laughs> right. Right. The astronaut, the Jesuit, the the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Right. That's what it would be. It, it, this, this, this would be some, you know, Victorian romance. It's like the astronaut, the Jesuit, right. the senator's wife. <laughs> On the edge of the beyond. Yes. Why do you, why do you like going into space, Heathcliff? <laughs> because you're not there. Oh. Jesus. Wow. Jeez. God, Heathcliff. Yeah. And, um. And it seems like our dear Father Dyer is leading us in some old uh, empty orchestra, also known as karaoke. Actually, mm-hmm. I looked it up, and apparently karaoke was just becoming a thing over in Japan at this time, like the, like the little karaoke machines that you could right. get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, which – now, 
Okay, this is a really interesting scene. Um, I, I don't really feel like we do this kind of thing anymore. I guess I guess karaoke machine really would be the modern equivalent. But Keenan, these people are our age, right? At least at least Chris is our age, right? Uh, like, what kind of stuff do people our age do at parties? Um. Well, there are karaoke games on yeah. the Xbox. People still do that. See, that's 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 immediately <laughs> what I went to. It's like, like people our age, we still play like video games and stuff like that. Right. right. Like we play yes. the Wii. We play the Xbox. We, I've know. been at I've been at real parties where the uh, the Just Dance comes out or the Xbox uh, karaoke. I forget what they call it. There comes out. But mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that still really happens. But also, you know, I'm friends with um, film people, which are like theater people, just more awkward. <laughs> It's a, it's a little bit more intimate, right? Because um, you know, the, they the have fewer friends. Oh, oh. <laughs> right. Well, I went one way, and you went another way. <laughs> right. That's... I was making a pun on on the camera. On but, the camera. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. That is really interesting, though. These are these are um people our age. Um. Uh, people our age nowadays can't afford pianos. No. <laughs> that's that's a that's a terrible luxury, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then again, this is Chris McNeil, I guess. But uh, mm. but yeah, like you know, well, I- <laughs> this question of like, what do people do at parties? I mean, I was once with uh, some friends at, in high school, and we were hanging out at the the um, the McDonald's inside the Walmart across the street from our high school. Okay, and there was one of our friends who uh, had not been out with us much, and we liked mm. him from school. We we invited him out, and yeah. um, he's just sitting at the head of this McDonald's inside of a Walmart <laughs> table, <laughs> while we're just all laughing and ribbing each other and joking mm-hmm, and saying mm-hmm. whatever, making fun of teachers. And then it, there's a lull in the conversation, and he says, "Is this all that hanging out is?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's at the table, like he like he called you all to a board meeting <laughs> about hanging out. It's yeah, like, like gentlemen, we need we need to we need we to need reevaluate. Yeah, yeah, on my desk by the morning, what is this hanging out? <laughs> <laughs> I want these forms in triplicate. I want. Wow. Yeah. Like, I guess, I guess that speaks to the culture, right? I guess how you hang out and what you do and what kind of parties you go to, like all kind of depend on what's socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And then like, also, I guess like even more than what's socially acceptable, like what you and your group of friends deem as like a cool, fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a priest playing the piano. That's mm -hmm. what's fun here. That is, yeah, this is, he is, he is a, a, a laugh riot, this guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Keenan, like I saw this in middle school and I'm sure I thought, oh, this is an old people party. They're doing old people stuff. This is what old people do at a party. But now I'm like Dyer's age, Chris's age. Right. Actually, uh, in the book, it says Chris is 32. So I'm older than Chris now. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this party, this party in 1973, like, like, and maybe it's because Chris is like the Chris McNeil and uh, this is a super classy party. We got senators, we got astronauts, we got psychics. Oh my. And yeah, this is a small party, uh, you know, very, very intimate, but I just can't help but feel it's also timeless. Did you get that feeling? Like we're talking about timelessness in the Iraq scenes, but this is also a little like it doesn't seem connected to the 1970s, you mm-hmm. know, like Keenan, if I told you, hey, we're having a 70s themed party. Um, this isn't what we would think of, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I, I think that that's completely true. So this is the early 70s. So um, but this doesn't even look like a 60s party, what we would think yeah. about, right? Um, but yeah, we we have this tendency to think that everybody was uh, always in the new, in the now, right? Right. But these people would think that the what was cool and what was now, as represented by the say the the actors who were playing the um, the extras in Chris's right. movie, right? That's the new and now, and and yeah, the Chris's crowd is a little bit more conservative, even though she's an actor, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we see that in in that scene where she's like, I don't understand what's going on in this. Like, I can't even make heads or tails of this movie, right? <laughs> right where we have these radical young people. Yeah. Um, but also, there's a little bit of like. Yes, they're they're a little bit old, but like, okay, what is class to them? Sorry, so classiness mm. is sort of um, dictated by what from the fifties or maybe even earlier than that. Yeah, um, like what is class to us now? It wouldn't be. I, I don't even know who's hip right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. Um, oh, geez, Takashi six nine and um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, Camila Cabello. Uh, like, 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 is that that's not like when we're thinking about like I want to I want to dress up and, and be at a classy adult party. Yeah, we're not the people, folks. We're not the people to ask about like 
what's classy and cool. Um, right. Do not come to us for that. <laughs> Lyle, Lyle, um, crocodile. That's what the kids go. want. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Start a stage and screen. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Like, like there's a little bit of like what, what we think of as being classy or what we think about being sophisticated as dictated by a previous generation, right? Of, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. of the last generation. Yeah. Like, I feel like the only time that I would be that dressed up mm-hmm. uh, to go to a party would be like if it was like a costume. <laughs> like, like I'd be pretending to have the party that Chris is actually having, right. you know, like I'd get in a nice suit, like not a, co- not a Halloween costume, but I would dress up like, um, like, oh, this is like a very classy party, you know, but I'm kind of like doing it tongue in cheek, like winking. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to have like hors d'oeuvres and somebody's <laughs> going to play the piano. And, you know. <laughs> right. Like I'm daddy Warbucks, but I have hair. <laughs> I'm really right. fancy. <laughs> Um, I don't want to necessarily spoiler another movie that we're not the people haven't signed up to get spoiled, but but in the end of Marriage Story uh-huh. with Adam Driver, he plays a theater director. Uh-huh. And um and he is at a piano bar at the end with his friends and mm-hmm. he ends up singing a song um there on the piano. So like it oh. comes up and he he like and so he does this basic sort of karaoke thing. Uh-huh. Um and he does it from a um he's he's reciting all of the parts in it. So even though it's mostly um, the main character singing, there's some asides from the rest of the cast in this original cast recording. So he does all of it, which is a very <laughs> theater person type of thing. He's like talking to himself and calling and responding himself. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think that some people still do this. And I hope there are still bars like that in New York yeah. <laughs> after the uh, the pandemic where there's just an open piano. And uh, if, you, if you get drunk and mad enough, you can go up and sing a song <laughs> <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> And be like, hey, everybody, listen. Well, hold on. Let me do the Adam Driver. Like, hey, everybody, everybody, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good Adam Driver. Thank you. I've been working on my Adam Driver. I have to, I have to usually think of Marriage Story specifically, where <laughs> where he where he says, "Don't you, don't you ever talk about my father like that again." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he he's doing a voice that's not his normal voice in as Kylo Ren. That's right. not how he speaks, right? Yeah. But yeah. anyways, yeah. So I think wait, Kylo theater... Ren is wait. He's doing a voice in Marriage Story, and his real voice is wait. Which no, one? no, no, no. Marriage Story is his Marriage Story is his real voice, and then and then he's Kylo Ren. And he's Kylo Ren. Okay, okay. That's, right. Yeah, that's his putting on. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I would have been surprised if it were the other way around. No, no. He's a he's a huge tall man, and he talks a little bit like Kermit the Frog. Not gotcha, all the way. Gotcha. But a little bit. We love you, Adam Driver. Oh, love him, love him. Uh, but yeah, I think like theater people do when there's a piano around. You can't get their hands no, off. No, 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 no. Same with like certain certain types of people in a guitar. They're like, oh, <laughs> right. And I guess that's an indication of who Father Dyer is. Mm-hmm. You know, so we said that um, that in in real life. Oh God, what the hell is this actor's name? Uh, Father O'Malley. Thank you. Yeah. So we said that in real life, Father O'Malley was a uh, basically a theater teacher at the school that he taught at. Yes. Right. So he mm-hmm. he put on plays and things like that. So th- that is. Um, uh, that is also working into this character, but we don't necessarily know that before we see this shot right. of Father Dyer at the, um, at yeah. the piano. And I want to speak to what he is uh, playing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to go back a bit to like the, the timelessness of this of this scene right here. This song that he's playing came out in 1926. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Down on 3rd and 33rd or uh, Toidy Toid as uh, it's, <laughs> it's more popularly sung and as they're singing here in, in the, the movie. Um, <laughs> and it's just this like really folksy Archie Bunker, all in the family, like sing along if you're not at a wides, you know, um, <laughs> like, like, like what you'd sing, like when you're drunk in a bar in the 1920s or 30s. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who chose this song? It's got to be <laughs> Father Dyer. Um, he's the one at the piano, but like in the book. And he's, he's also correcting people and making sure they say toy toy. Yeah. You got to say toy toy. That's the whole <laughs> right. thing. Right. Don't you come in here with 33rd. You asshole. <laughs> oh, geez. These meatheads with yeah. the 33rd. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's toy toy. It's toy Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't recognize this country no more. Yeah. My, my favorite thing, there, there, there was a thing he was like, um, uh, I, I forget the exact uh, uh, context of it, but like someone was trying to defend him saying like, um, it's like, it's like, oh, your honor, Archie Bunker was under duress. And and he said, he was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't even know I was under the dress. <laughs> oh, Archie Bunker. Everyone's favorite bigot. Everyone's favorite. And oh, and I just saw the other day on TikTok, it popped up. It was like one of these um, like uh, blasts from the past. Um, he did, he did a whole PSA, Carol O'Connor on, he's, he's like, uh, you know, talking in his normal voice, not his Archie Bunker voice and just, <laughs> and just talk. Yeah. Right. Um, which is a which, you know, like guys, Peter Griffin is Archie Bunker. That's, you know, um, but, uh, 
he said, it's like, it's like, basically he was, he was like, Hey guys, you know, like, uh, you know, we have a lot of laughs on the show and Archie Bunker's, you know, uh, uh, a real funny guy, but he's, he's actually not, he's, he's a racist and like, you shouldn't be like Archie Bunker. Um, and I just thought like, because I think, I think that was a thing, right? Like, like people almost missed the point of that show where like they loved Archie. Some of them did. Yeah. So bo- it got both audiences at once, you know, number one show in America, because mm-hmm. some people were like, Oh, this is to, you're supposed to make fun of this character. You're supposed to laugh at him. And mm-hmm. then other people were like, Oh, he's saying the things we don't get to say. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, similar to say like Eric Cartman, which never was the, the, the kind of hit to that, like, um, all in the family was cause yeah. Cause, um, cause South Park is on cable and, and aimed at, uh, basically teenage boys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, I think, I don't know what number, but let's, let's, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Say half the audience that watches South Park is like, Cartman is terrible and we're making fun of Cartman. And when he says things that are awful, that's because he's terrible. And other ones like, ha 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 ha. And they learn, you know, uh, new, new slurs basically <laughs> that they From didn't know there. before. Yeah. yeah because yeah. of Cartman. Would you, would you, uh, say the same thing about Homer Simpson? Do you think? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, some things that Homer says are clearly, you're supposed to know that he's wrong, but other things like, uh, it's the American way to, uh, to get drunk and, <laughs> and to, ch- to do a half-assed job. <laughs> I think some people take that as, um, as a call to arms. Yeah. yeah. Um, to alcohol, the solution and cause of all of life's yeah. problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help that. Yeah. Like every now and then he has like so little nuggets of wisdom and we're like, oh, that's actually, right. it's like, that's very, yeah. you know, even if he's not aware of it. <laughs> right. I think, you know, Cartman is, is, above, is beyond the pale because he is a, an overtly racist, not well-meaning character. Right. Yeah. As Archie Bunker is um, not well-meaning either, but yeah, people still like him. Mm-hmm. He's a likable person for, yeah. yeah, it's a complicated question. And we question. talked about like Peter Griffin as well is like, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, kind of like borrows his voice from Carol O'Connor's mm-hmm. character right um, yeah he's well meaning at least yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay um but yeah so th- they're they're singing this like down on third and 33rd actually in the book um mm-hmm. father dyer he says does anybody else know the words to i bet you're sorry now tokyo rose mm-hmm. which is not even in the movie but i did i did a whole research thing on tokyo rose because uh, oh, sure. i didn't know about it and that's one change that I'm glad uh, Friedkin made to the script. Uh, Tokyo Rose or, or uh, Eva Toguri. Um, hers is a fascinating story, which I highly recommend you go and check out. I'm not going to dive into it here because it, it like in the book, it's like just a, a throwaway line. Like you hear it in the background as Father Dyer is trying to figure out the next song. And it's not even in the movie. So, um, right. But in the script, it says it says that song, uh, Tokyo Rose. Yeah. Uh, but they don't. Interesting. Hand, right? But yeah. So she's a really, really uh, uh, interesting person. Uh, Eva or maybe Iva Toguri. Um, well, there are actually a couple of different Tokyo Roses. Oh. So, um, so they would all broadcast as Tokyo Rose, oh. um, as the character. But um, at the time, so a lot of that that history, right? It has to be found out later, right? right? Yeah, because it was it was a program by the Japanese, and so we didn't, you know, we didn't get insight into that till later. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like like, and but her specifically, like she was um, uh, Miss Toguri. She was like a um, a Japanese American who was like stuck mm-hmm. over there. Um, oh yes, that's the yeah. You're right. That's the worst of them. That is a really really bad one. Yeah, she's stuck over there and um, and gets. Uh, pretty much coerced into into being Tokyo Rose. Right, will, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like as the story goes, she kind of like um, makes a farce of it, right? Kind of mm-hmm. like, like you know, uh, uses it, uh, you know, to kind of like entertain the troops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, definitely check out like her or anybody else, um, you know, involved in like the Tokyo Rose uh, stories. Um, Eva Toguri or Iva, I-V-A Toguri, T-O-G-U-R-I. Um, yeah, check them out. The song is horrible. Don't look it up. Yeah, it's right. racist and stupid and just, um, I guess, uh, indicative of, of like where our minds were in the 70s about Japanese people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the story of the person is really interesting. And if you like history, you should uh, check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Father Dyer doesn't say that in this movie. Um, Ooh, good and, for you, Father Dyer. Yeah, good, good job, <laughs> Father Dyer. Um, instead, he's singing this lovely little ditty down on 3rd and 33rd. Um, so yeah, Keenan, I also did research on this song and i think we might have another case of the carmen coincidence oh i don't know i didn't look up the words to this one yeah so let's have a listen um so the the first verse that they're doing this is the one that they're doing in the movie right it's it's pretty you know pretty uh, tame it's a uh, down on the east side uh, well down on the east side uh, uh that's my on the east side that's my home sweet home uh some people think it's the home of black eyes just because guys don't wear collars and ties that's all the bunk uh, they say that in fun, real East Side folks is the best uh, folks what come. They give you their shite, 
only they ain't got none down on toritoid and toid, right? Hmm. Now, the second verse is all about pianos, Keenan. <laughs> Folks buy pianos for one dollar down, then wait with sticks for the guy to come round. <laughs> God help collectors when they come to call. Three flights of stairs is a hell of a fall. Oh, jeez. <laughs> especially, uh, especially with hard marble floors in the hall, down on toritoid and toid. So... Talking about falling down a flight of stairs, I don't oh, know. Getting crossed with the uh, yeah the guys who bought the piano. Yeah, <laughs> and then the uh, the last verse. Um, I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but uh, down on the east side of Toy Toy and Toyd, that's my home sweet home. When a guy dies, it's the best time of all. Oh, maybe it does. Um, we go on out and we hire a hall. We gets a bathtub and fills it with gin. Pick up the corpse and we throw the stiff in. Better alive, <laughs> you should see that guy grin down on Toy Toy and Toy. Oh wow! What Father the Dyer. hell are you singing, Father Dyer? <laughs> Sheesh! <laughs> That's great. That's I mean, great. That's a good find, Lester. I, I yeah, love it. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't. I don't know any other reason that they would use this song other than it sounds like a folksy party song that Archie and Edith Bunker would sing uh, if <laughs> if they were here. Um, Archie would also sing Tokyo Rose song probably. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Okay, yeah. We talked about Carol O'Connor. Um, in any case, uh, we then get this wonderful bit of characterization uh, with Father Dyer here talking about his idea of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Keenan. I'm learning about this as we go. I'm a little ashamed to say that I didn't really know about it until we started doing the show. Um, I didn't pick up the fact that Burke might be a queer-coded character, for example. Um, is this another example right here with Father Dyer? I think I think it is completely. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought it up so it's not just me uh, foisting that gay agenda on on the film and our audience. So, so yes, yeah, so you think that Father Dyer might be gay? Possibly. Um, yeah. What What is – I'll put you on the spot. Oh, boy. <laughs> what, what brings you to that conclusion? Conclusion. I agree. I agree with you completely. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say this. This made me think that. Oh, damn it! Damn it! You got me on the spot, Keenan. Um, well, no. I, like, just to go back to uh, what you were saying about shortcuts and maybe like stereotypes and uh, little like visual or audio cues that we put onto a character to say that they're gay without saying outright that they're gay and this little uh kind of like bit of action that he did when you know he's talking about his idea of heaven and just like his voice and his tone and his his gesture seemed to me it's like oh that would be like would this be another example of like putting that stereotype on just to kind of like like you know as as a shorthand of saying um that father dyer might be gay yeah i think i think completely so he's a little bit more exaggerated in his uh in his hand movements in his voice um and as you point out right he's the one doing this um this show tune essentially right Mm -hmm. the the line between what's a show tune and what is popular music from the 1920s is very blurry Mm. because a lot of what was on broadway was coming from tin pan alley which is the um the popular music scene right so so there weren't there weren't Shows in the same way as like Showboat, which is the first really big Broadway show where they're writing songs specifically for the movie or for the for the play mm-hmm. that are about the characters. So oftentimes it was taking popular songs, buying the sheet music, and putting them into Broadway shows. So wow. so he's essentially singing a show tune, right? Um, okay, it's this character, it's this character based show tune um, with a voice and everything. Yeah. So I mean, these are these are the kind of stereotypes we have, right? And then mm-hmm. when we start to maybe think backwards, you've only known him for about two minutes now, right? Um, his watch that we see when he's sitting with. Chris at the table is a little bit flashier than the other men's watches. Oh. Um, you know, it's, it's bright gold and he sort of has his, his wrist available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we think about like his conversation with the astronaut, not that he's hitting on the astronaut or mm. anything like that. Um, but the astronaut is going to um, uh, light Father Dyer's cigarette for him, mm. um, you know, as Father Dyer is holding it out for him. And these are just, you know, again, as you were pointing out, these are stereotypes, mm-hmm. but that's how you can communicate to people without having the, the character say out loud that, that they might be queer. Right. Interesting. Right. Oh, thank I you. completely agree with you. And then, you know, I don't want, I don't know anything about the real father O'Malley. Mm. Um, and as far as we can tell, he's just playing a version of himself. And I don't mean to say that to be like um, demeaning, like he's not really acting because this is like a real three dimensional character. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the other uh, priests like Father Bellingham are playing 
not again, I don't want to say one note, but they don't have arcs necessarily. Right. Oh, right? Birmingham, you mean, right? Uh, Father, yeah, like Father Birmingham. Mm-hmm. It's not that they don't have, um, if they're not acting, they're not interesting. I don't want to say that they're one note, but mm-hmm. but they they don't have arcs, right? We don't see them at their high moment and their low moment and things right, like that, right. the way that we do with Father Dyer. Yeah, uh, Dyer definitely has like some high moments and some low moments, yeah. Yeah, he's going to lose his best friend. You know, these yep. are these are gigantic things. So, um, so I don't want to say that he's just being himself, but that's so far our indication is that yeah, – mm-hmm. um, that um, William Peter Blatty uh, saw Father Dyer um, as being a good match for this character that he wrote. Right. Um, as what, what do you say? He's the um, the quippy flip character. Oh, he said it was a, a cutesy flip. Cutesy yeah. flip. Yeah. That he saw Father. He saw Father uh, O'Malley as Father Dyer. This yeah. cutesy flip character. Father cutesy and, flip, as he as he said. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. And put him in there. So yeah. um, so I, I don't want to. Um, I just want. I'm just hesitating a little bit more than I normally would because Jack McGowan as a as a seasoned actor would know what he was doing. He, mm-hmm. would, he could play straight characters and he could play gay characters. Right. right. Um, so I don't. I don't want to. Um, you know. Uh, guess at the uh, the real life orientation or mannerisms of the real Father O'Malley. Right, right, yeah. Right. And but I, I think that I think Father Dyer is gay. Yeah, it was Father Dyer, as as opposed to like it, it, separate from Father O'Malley. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like yeah, as far as Father O'Malley, like I, 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 I don't know a whole lot other than like he he wrote a lot of books and he mm-hmm. and he directed a lot of plays and that's kind of like where that's that's kind of like what I could find. So right. Um. So yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I think I think engaging in that stereotype analysis is how you look at coded queer characters in literature. Mm. Like that does not help you at all in real life. Right. <laughs> so yes. think about, oh, he's a he's a priest, so he never got married in the seventies, and he went to the priesthood, and he he was doing um, theater work. Like that's actually not helpful at all. Right. Right. Of, yeah. So just to be clear, folks, like we're 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 analyzing what we think the film is trying to tell us, not like yes. like don't do this in real life. Like <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and he, I, I, I like his idea. He says, um, you know, he, he says, my idea of heaven is a solid white nightclub with me as the headliner for all eternity. And they love me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really sweet and everyone laughs. And I also like the fact that it's a priest talking about a non-traditional subjective view of heaven, which is sort of like, like the default for all of us, right? Like we all imagine that heaven is filled with like stuff that we like, right? Mm-hmm. Which actually... Okay, fun little thought experiment, Keenan. Um, I know you don't necessarily believe in heaven, but if there was one, what would it be for you? Hmm, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure because I mean, I do, I do let myself fantasize about what if we won the lottery, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, if we, if money was no option, um, so this might seem a little silly, but I guess this is this this is the first thing that comes to mind because it's not something we could have on Earth. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I have four cats and I have too too many cats, mm-hmm. and I all I still look for new cats. I'm like, oh, look at this one. I have to say no. Mm-hmm. So what about? some kind of ever expanding infinite house and each cat gets their own room <laughs> and there's a, there's an infinite amount of cats and you can go into each room and it's their own room based on their own little personality. And, um, and here's the key part about it is that you mm. can leave that cat and, uh, leave them behind and come back later. <laughs> they won't follow you into the next room. Right. Together. Right. Yeah, they have their own, <laughs> they have their own little, like, like, uh, independent, uh, rooms. I love that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Keenan, what's I wrong do... with that? I love that. <laughs> well, you know, cause I think about, it's not about, um, it's not about doing any good. Or Who anything. cares? It's your heaven. <laughs> it's not with my family or my loved ones with cats. <laughs> oh, um, you weren't including them. Oh, I don't know where they are. They're they're around, <laughs> I, I suppose. <laughs> and I guess you're in there somewhere, Lester, okay, and yeah. our fans at them. Well, thank you um, for inviting me to your heaven. <laughs> yeah, but like in yeah, I do fantasize about what if we what if we had all the money all of a sudden infinite mm-hmm, money. Mm-hmm. And I do think a lot about you know building a perfect film school here in Las Vegas, which I think oh. we have a pretty good one with UNLV Film. I think it's the best undergrad film program in the country. But um, you know. What if we had the money for a real theater? What right. if we had money for, a, yeah, for our own parking spaces? Oh my god! <laughs> and so, what about you? Oh well, um, hmm. for me, I think it would be very similar to Father Dyer's idea of heaven. Um, it'd be like um, uh, uh, I'm I'm a big actor. I'm a performer. I'm doing uh, sold out shows every night. I also do stand up. Um, and then during the day, I just sit in a snowy little cabin in the woods and I write. Um, and you and I are still doing the the Exorcist Minute, Keenan. Um, mm-hmm. Except our guests are uh, William Peter Blatty and Max von Sydow, and it's like <laughs> the highest rated podcast ever. Basically, just uh, you know. Basically, just stuff that I want to do right now, right? Stuff that I want right now, um, which I guess is how this experiment always goes, right? Like, yeah, whatever you don't have is, uh... <laughs> yeah, whatever you don't have, whatever you want. Um, if I really, really had to think about it, I'd say it's probably a little bit deeper. It's like um, stuff that I don't even realize is missing, you know? Like, 
this is really blasphemous. Um, so, you know, um, some folks might want to cover their ears, but <laughs> you know how when you go and you get a foot massage um, and they start working the muscles and the tendons in your feet, and that's when you realize how much pain your feet were in, um, only when they start taking the pain away, like, oh, I didn't realize how sore my feet were because it's this like constant dull ache, right? Or you sink into a warm bath or a hot tub and you're like, oh, my muscles were so tense and I didn't even realize it. I think heaven would be like that, but for my soul. I think I'd be like, wow, all this baggage, all this pain, all these worries, all this guilt, all this like emotional, psychological debris. I had no idea, right? Um, it'd be like a detoxing, right? I, I feel like society does a really good job of shaming you into a shape. Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't feel too much love. Don't feel too much empathy. Don't feel too much happiness. Dwell on the past. Worry about the future. And, and uh, you know, feel like uh, – I, I feel like we get little tastes of heaven. In our lives, like like being with someone, holding your child for the first time, um, just being surprised by a, a moment of clarity and peace or purpose. I think these little glimpses that we get every now and then, I, like like these are little glimpses of of like what it it, it feels like all the time. And so. I think naturally when we're constructing our version of heaven, we just fill it with all the, you know, the things that, that give us those feelings. Right? Oh yeah. So, so two things, I saw some uh, new year's piece of advice, happy 2023 uh, oh, yeah. from, from the past. If you're listening to us in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah one, one said um, that when you're experiencing one of those moments to say out loud, I'm so happy right now. Oh. And that'll like trick you into, into, into um, cataloging it. That there was this moment. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't put into practice. And so, th- you know, it's just bumper sticker stuff, but it might yeah. actually work for people. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of like a personal heaven. So I think I like that you're saying like Father Dyer, it, it, it feels a little, maybe not sacrilegious, but a little bit like. Um, it's not like the usual thing that you would expect a priest to say. Yeah, he's being un- a little unorthodox, right? Yeah. By, by saying this, um, this personal idea of heaven. Um, so it's one of my pet peeves uh, is what people like to make fun of about the um, the LDS idea of heaven. Do you know the LDS idea of heaven? Mm. Oh, is this the? Um, um, isn't it? Isn't it that like like the, yeah? There are different different uh, levels of heaven, and like the the ultimate, the highest level is like you become god of your own uni- universe, or. Yeah, well, that's actually closer to what it really is. And so like like what people le- like to make fun of. So we have a lot of LDS people in Las Vegas, and I grew up with some of my very best mm. friends, uh, Latter-day Saints, so uh, Mormons. Right. Um, but they, they make fun and say like, oh, so when you die, you get your own planet. Uh, mm. You know, that's what people say when they make fun of it, which is, um, you know, if you're taking things a little bit out of context and literal, right? Yeah, like you go, you go, and you get to have whatever you want in your own little universe. Um, mm. But that is a that's basically that's no sillier is what I mean than the idea of a personalized heaven. Right. right. So on your little planet, you know, uh, those people are making fun of it. Like on your little planet, what your grandmother's there and you get to be whatever age you thought you were the best at and you're 35 and your grandmother is 65, even though she died when she was in her 80s, right? And you, all your right. dogs and cats are there and you're in your childhood home, but it also has an elevator. Like like how mm-hmm. stupid it is that you would have your own planet. But that that's what a personalized view of heaven is, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that you get, that you, that it defies logic. It defies the rules of things. You are um, like in a dream, you are 20 years old and 70 years old all at once right um and and just because you have your grandmother in your personal heaven doesn't mean that she doesn't have her own personal heaven right right which which is again illogical but of course it is because we're talking about we're talking about heaven right right? so yeah you exist at other people's heavens and you exist in your own heaven simultaneously yeah Yeah. and it is you you do bring up this um this this very good uh point about it's like yeah who who are we who are any of us to say like you know uh one religion's idea of heaven is silly or absurd Mm -hmm. i mean just like yeah look at your own religion i mean like i'm living on a cloud yeah (laughs) Yeah, you go you go to a cloud and the first pope is there and he reads from a giant book in front of a big gate made of pearls it's also golden and and he reads you all your your um your good and bad deeds yeah and you're first in line and whatever <laughs> you know, like that's just that's just as silly as the other one or just as beautiful let me just say it's just as beautiful as the other one right just right. as beautiful just as silly just as like you know we're talking about like christian idea of heaven mm-hmm. or muslim idea of heaven or right. like any other re- religions like idea of what happens after we die all of them are equally, um, you know, uh, 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 absurd and illogical, and all mm. of them are equally beautiful. So, like, yeah, like, just you know, you know, we all got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Before we wreck ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh, okay. That, that actually made me remember. So, you know, talking about like, like, um, I remember my mom describing, um, you know, heaven. It's like, you can do, you know, anything you want up in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it was like Halloween and I was really into dressing like the devil. <laughs> And so naturally, I think I might have even been in my devil costume when I asked this question, uh, because you know, Keenan, that like Halloween was like uh, 365 for me. Mm-hmm, right. um, but yeah, so it's like, oh, can I can I wear my devil costume up in heaven? <laughs> and she kind of looked, she was like, um... <laughs> <laughs> like poor mom's like how do you pose a question like that like right yeah <laughs> that's great i love my devil costume, <laughs> okay. devil costume. <laughs> well god let me wear that up in heaven oh, <laughs> i'm sure that happens when when parents are teaching their kids about habit like well oh, can yeah. i can i um have unlimited screen time on my switch <laughs> 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 well, yes it's only when you're dead yeah <laughs> not yeah. right now put it away <laughs> yes you'll have that when you're in heaven so turn off the phone now like, <laughs> save it for heaven I've been told it's like, oh yes, like you could have those things, but you won't want them. You'll be, you'll be like an evolved uh, uh, being, and those things will Ooh. not be as pleasurable to you, right? So that's like, a very Buddhist version of, uh, <laughs> yeah, right? of what Christian heaven is like. Yeah, but that like that made me think. It was like, okay, like I'm I'm filling my heaven with all of these like material things that I really really want, but mm-hmm. like, will I be like, will those things not be as pleasurable as like? Like, I don't know what, like, complete, raw, unfiltered uh, love and compassion feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like we get, like I said, we get tastes of that, um, right. you know, as human beings. Like, what is what does that feel like all the time? Like, compared to that, um, you know, a solid white nightclub might not uh, might not be as, as exciting. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you need unlimited beef jerky at the right hand of the father? Yeah. I don't know. And what if you prefer Slim Jims? <laughs> They're there then too, what? yeah. There we go. There we go. That I pose to you, religious people. <laughs> yeah, checkmate, religious Check people. Check and mate. If God truly is real, <laughs> can he make a Slim Jim so big? <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah, folks, as uh, as they're singing this um, yeah, uh, very pleasant song, um, uh, the camera moves out. It moves back. Keenan, is this uh, a dolly shot or a zoom? Well, this is actually, yeah, a moving, a real moving shot. So not a zoom, it's a dolly um, or it's on track. So yeah, it's, it's an actual moving shot. And okay. I'm glad that you were asking about that. So you notice when we're moving back, but you yes. didn't necessarily notice that we've been in the same shot <gasps> since Sharon and Chris closed the door. What? And we've been in one long, I, t- I timed it, 50 seconds shot. That works. That's like big, almost all of our minutes. Almost all of our minutes. So when they close the door behind Burke and they have that conversation, the camera is moving with them through the hall and it moves back for them. And then it goes into this little side room with the piano and sees all these people and it will move to follow Chris there. And then it only is when it starts to move out that you notice it, right? Oh my God. Um, and it cuts when, uh, when we cut to Reagan's face. So that brings up this idea of motivated camera movement. Have you mm. heard that? I've heard it, but I don't know what it means. Okay, yeah. So basically, uh, if a camera movement is matching a movement in the frame, it's mm-hmm. said to be motivated. So say I throw a ball mm-hmm. and the camera moves to follow where the ball is. You as the audience member don't notice the camera moving. You just notice that you get to keep watching the ball. Okay. Right? So it, it, it helps the camera move feel more invisible. Mm. Because basically, you're, you're so here when we have Chris and Sharon in the hall and the camera is following them, we don't notice the camera. We're just listening to what Chris and Sharon want to say. And, right. and we are only – we're getting visually exactly what we want to see when we want to see it. I see. So um, uh, imagine instead, say, if um, if the camera were staying out in the hall and Chris and Sharon leave and it stays in the hall and we're not seeing Chris and Sharon as they're talking, yeah. we would notice that as a camera staying there. Right. Right. Yeah. We go, oh, this isn't what I think I should be watching. I want to see Chris and Sharon. Right. Yeah. 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 So so the entire time we're following Chris and Sharon move and the camera is doing very complicated movements. Again, it's a 50 second camera move. Yeah. Um, and we have 10 actors dealing with their choreography. Right. Um, you know, uh, the big biggest people who are moving are Chris and Sharon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're, we're also dealing with the astronaut and Reagan. Right. And there's the other six people who are basically standing still. So if it's, uh, so the first part of it is motivated because we're just following Chris. And then the second part of it, when it starts to move and there's not something in the frame that we're matching that movement to, right. Uh-huh. It's not that Chris is now moving towards the door and the camera's moving with her. Everyone is stationary and the camera starts to move. We go, how, oh, what's this about? Like, why is the camera moving? It's not showing me something I want to see. It's forcing me to see things it wants me to see. 
Interesting. So it's almost like the camera. So when we were following the characters, Mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily think of the camera as another character. Right. Only when the camera is like backing away from this scene, we're like, hey, camera, no, get back there. What are you doing? Yeah, it seems like it has a mind of its own, right? Yeah. Um, And this one, so that's unmotivated camera movement. It's not, the movement isn't motivated by something in the frame. And again, like, I don't like that term because un always feels like it's, it's bad. Right, right. Right. So we talk to film students like, oh, I don't want to have unmotivated camera. Movement. Well, no, no, it's actually just not matching. Oh, right? what's it's not wrong there, little camera? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't think I really want to move today. No, you got you got to get motivated, little camera. <laughs> I'm just a bad camera. No, <laughs> I'd rather eat, eat, eat a bunch of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got like a big camera. <laughs> but yeah, so. So it's not good or bad. So here we have where, where unmotivated camera movement is really effective because mm-hmm. the camera starts to be back. We're like, oh, what's this about now? What's going on? Right. And instead of like seeing this group of people singing and, and Father Dyer explaining all of this and we're like, oh, we're part of this, mm-hmm. we start to become more objective about it, right? We're yeah. like, oh, now we're like looking at these people like a scientist or something or yeah. demon, right? We're like, oh, look, we're observing them now as opposed to being part of the group. Interesting. Oh, folks, I am learning. I'm learning so much. Hey. Yeah. And so, yeah, the camera reveals, as Father Dyer points out, that we have a guest. We then cut to Reagan for what seems like a really long time. I timed it right. again, but it doesn't, it like, it, it's objectively not long, but it seems really, really long um, before she speaks. And she says, you're going to die up there. Mm-hmm. Which I did not understand when I was little. Keenan, did you understand this line the first time? Oh, I think so. So what what did you um what did you think? I think it was because I hadn't caught the hints in the previous conversation that this guy was um an astronaut. Oh, right, because you don't have that information about the Gemini and the Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure that I don't even remember this guy, let alone the fact that he's an the astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um I also thought she was speaking to everybody at the party. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's like like it, it's it's the back of her head and then like after after we pull out completely it's the back of her head and then it closes up on her it, it cuts to her face mm-hmm. and like it, to me it just looked like she was looking at everybody at that party. Um, and I, and because I knew this movie was called the exorcist and I knew she's supposed to be the devil. I was like up there. What does that mean? Like, does she mean heaven? Oh yeah. You're going to die up in heaven. Yeah. I like, I was like, as a kid, it didn't even register that she was talking about talking to the astronaut and talking about like the sky or space. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where my mind went. Gotcha. Yeah. So this shot stays, um, it pulls out and we start to observe the party like we're an outsider. It feels a little bit anticipatory, which mm-hmm. um, sometimes people say is a negative, mm. but it leaves some room for, for Reagan, if you will. Yeah. Uh, then Reagan comes in exactly where she should be in the middle of the frame now. And our astronaut turns around and looks at, at her. So mm. that's how I think we're supposed to know that, oh, she's looking, talking to the astronaut specifically. Gotcha. Um, so he looks around and starts to smile. And then, yeah, we cut to Reagan. We're not sure where she's looking. Um it doesn't necessarily look like if, if she were potentially more to the right of the frame and it would look like she's looking more left, maybe that would clue us in. Right. But yeah, it's, a, it's sort of, I suppose, ambiguous here. It says mm. you're going to die up there. Yeah. And then I'd like that we get a shot of the astronaut in close up. Right. Right. Um, and then it cuts to the, the assembled shot of every, oh, no, it doesn't. It cuts to her peeing. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the shot of, of everyone at the piano and they're just, like, what do you think of that? They're sort of like. Let me see. Like, I'm gonna. Sorry, I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But no, 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 that's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Um, uh, this goes into what I was saying. I'm gonna uh, play it right here. Let's see. Yeah. So I'm looking at. So in the back, we got the AD, and we got. I'm assuming that's the senator. Let's call him the senator. Let's and call the senator's him the senator. wife on the left. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Senator and the wife. Um, and like, we got some disgusted looks. Uh, and. Um, but it almost looks like the senator's wife, like she's got like a weird little smirk or something. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I like about these group shots where these characters are taken seriously as characters. So again, these actors don't have lines, right? Um, right. Who we know now is Mary Jo, mm-hmm. and then if this is the senator and his wife or whoever, right? Yeah. They don't have lines in the entire movie, but potentially by having them have lines that have been cut out and treating them, you know. Friedkin would have been working with them as actors, not as uh-huh. background actors, which is right. a different relationship. Yes. Um, 
and then to trust them. So you're in this five shot of these actors mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. does it. Yeah, they have a, a wide range. Right. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like like Friedkin was like, OK, and now we're all disgusted. Right. right? It's like, like <gasps> yeah. right, right. Exactly. Like everyone has their own sort of re- reaction to it. And Dyer is more like looking in shock. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um there's some disgust. There's a little of, a bit of sympathy for it. Like, it, yeah. yeah. Like if like, we go, uh, if we go from, uh, from right to left, let's start at mm-hmm. the Senator, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Senator seems like he's like the most, um, uh, or the least empathetic. Like right. he's, he's, he's literally just like grossed out. He's right. like, right? Yeah. Right. Um, the AD looks like he's concerned cause he, you know, he, he knows Chris, he knows, he knows Reagan right. and he's like, Oh my God, what's, you know, what's mm-hmm. like, Oh, you, like, like, like honey, like what's wrong? You know? Right. Mary Jo has this interesting expression. Like if we, if we talk about uh, her interaction with Reagan before, where she kind of like sensed something Mm -hmm. in her from the book, like I'm like, it looks like on her face right now, she's kind of got this look like, Oh, like confirming like what she was like fearing. It's like, Oh, here we go. This is like, I was right. Like, Oh no. You know? Um, And yeah, we get the Senator's wife and she just kind of like, I don't know if, if it's like a reaction to being uncomfortable, but this weird smirk, like, huh? Like, yeah. Like, and then she sort of then she sort of starts to hide her face as if she'd be caught, you know, having a human reaction, which is like, right. oh, that's that's weird and funny. Yeah, and and people, you know, people laugh when they're uncomfortable, and they right. smirk and they smile when they're uncomfortable. Um, so like, you know, I'm not saying she's like this heartless like right. you know, person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I, but it is really cool that her um her reaction is is so di- and everybody's reactions are so different. Yeah, and then and she yeah. say, saying with her, so she she has this sort of she's been singing and she has her hand in her hip and she mm-hmm. takes her hand off and then she kind of smirks or has whatever reaction it is and then she she's the one who starts to look at the others to see if they noticed what she had done like oh god I had this reaction yeah and she sort of looks over at them right yeah and I like Father Dyer's also because you can kind of see the progress that like the progression of his like he turns around he's like oh what's uh what's going on here and (laughs) and then like his when his mouth closes you're like he's like ah okay Mm. like like he he understands what's going on now and he's he's he seems like a little bit um like like oh dear this is this is serious well he had just said this thing right he just said and here we have our little guest here right oh no he just oh he must feel bad because he like he he put her on the spot right right that wouldn't happen in his white nightclub no (laughs) um and then just to be sure so some people at home might not know this but like when i'm talking about the difference between an actor and a background actor or an Mm. extra um on a professional hollywood union run movie the director is not allowed to talk to the background actors Right. right. So that that's done with um, through the AD team. Usually the second AD is the person who or the second second or the third AD will be the people who are talking to the extras. Right. Um, so like here. Yeah, these are actor actors. They've, mm-hmm. they've had conversations with the director, even if we're just um, even if we uh, aren't sure that because you don't have that documented, like we see that they have had names in the script. So they are almost certainly hired and had conversations with William, uh, William Friedkin. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then like just to just to uh, linger on these. Um, these expressions um we get like the the, the bottom half of sharon's face in the mm-hmm. next uh cut so we can't see but we we do see that she seems like um uh concerned for like a person who who like she knows and loves mm-hmm. um and then ellen burston's face is like you know is is the the you know the the topper there um with- what i love about this performance by ellen burston is that mm-hmm. it is counter to what we would be we are thinking you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could speak for everybody, but we're like, oh, it's disgusting. It's embarrassing. Right. We cut to her, and she's genuinely concerned, and she's she's, yes. she's sorry for Reagan. Right. Um, I think that I think, gosh, you know, as much as I've seen the movie, I think when I was rewatching it to get ready for the show, I was, I was still like, oh, you know, if I'm retelling the story in my head, Reagan comes and pees, and Chris is embarrassed. Right. But uh, but the first thing that happens is that Chris is worried about her daughter. She is she there is a look of uh, genuine concern on her face right. uh, to the point where like, yeah, the last word of this minute, Reagan, is said with such um, I don't I don't know the word for it, but like such fear for her daughter's well-being. Right. Um, like something like it, it like like the carpet doesn't even matter. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's like what's what is happening with my daughter. Right. And then she will in our next minute when we're talking uh, about that, she does have a little bit of, uh, you know, apologizing to people for being embarrassed. But mm-hmm, but that's mm-hmm. not the first thing that she cares about at no, all. No, 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 no. Um, and plus, um, oh boy, again, with this movie being like a unique take on the devil, um, 
it doesn't seem like something a devil would say, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to die up there, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'd, you'd think he'd be like, your soul is in danger or mm-hmm. your soul is mine or you're going to rot down there in hell, filthy mortal, something something like devilish. And mm-hmm. I like this again, like Captain Howdy coming out swinging with this like unique creepy take on what a demon says and does, right? He, he doesn't seem concerned about souls. A lot of times he talks about death, it's weird. And and I feel like we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but death, it, it, like, it seems to be more of a looming presence than even hell itself here, right? right. Um, no, that's that's really interesting, right? Like, um, stop doing uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Do your mm-hmm. own Joker, guys. Right. <laughs> Let your own Joker go. Or stop, also stop doing Mark Hamill's Joker, please. <laughs> Sheesh. Right. Uh, so, um, with this line, you're going to die up there that Mm -hmm. leads us into, um, this character of the astronaut who we teased earlier uh, as being part of the extended Blatty universe, the Blatty verse, if you will. The Blatty verse. I love it. (laughs) Um, so Blatty had done a lot of writing before the exorcist. And Mm. one of the things that he had written was a novel called Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. Mm, Yes. Yes. Um, and he actually wanted, uh, um, Friedkin to direct Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. Mm. Uh, but it didn't quite work out. The movie didn't go forward. Mm. Uh, suddenly, after The Exorcist comes out, the book and the movie, he could do whatever he wants. Right. right. And what he wants to do is to turn Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane into a film mm. uh, for real, and he rewrites it um, and rewrites a screenplay that becomes a movie called The Ninth Configuration. Oh. Yeah. And I um, I told myself at our Christmas episode, our bonus <laughs> episode, that I needed to watch The Ninth Configuration because I've been meaning to. You know, mm-hmm. it's a famous mm-hmm. movie that I hadn't seen. Is oh, we got to do it before we get to this astronaut. Mm. Uh, so what's the connection there? Well. Mm. Again, this book that he had written, Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane, was written before The Exorcist came out. Mm. Okay, so before he'd written The Exorcist. And it is a very strange story. You haven't seen this movie or, or read this book, right? I haven't, no. Okay. Uh, Keenan did his homework, guys. I I saw I saw one uh, snippet of it on, oh. on YouTube, and, and I'll talk about that one uh, later. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, so it is uh, partially about an astronaut. So it is this really strange movie um, where it's during the Vietnam era, and there are so many soldiers who are claiming to be crazy mm. uh, that that they are just not sure. Like they 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 suppose that most of them are trying to get out of being in the army, mm. right, and go home early. So there is a special uh, there's a special uh, um, castle set up for them that looks oh. like uh, Dracula's castle, uh, looks like Frankenstein's <laughs> castle. They make several references to that that this looks mm. like Dracula's castle, and they have all these uh, servicemen from Vietnam um, there who are claiming to be crazy in their own unique ways. Mm-hmm. And they bring in a psychiatrist played by Stacy Keach. Mm. So I don't know if you remember Stacy Keach, but he was yes. um, cast as Father Karras. Yes. Yes. Before um, William Friedkin fell in love instead with Jason Miller. Right. Um, so, so he is the the straight man, if you will. Um, he is uh, running this uh, insane asylum with all these crazy uh, um, uh, characters. Some of them think that they're Superman. Um, some of them think that they are um, that they're nuns and they dress up mm-hmm. as nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Miller is in the movie. Mm. And he, I don't, I don't know what scene you saw. Um, that, this him, was but. the scene. Yeah, this, <laughs> I, I saw the Jason Miller scene, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's so like it, it was such a treat." <laughs> so he is is it's a comic role. It's a very funny movie. So Jason Miller is playing a um, a, a soldier who is now putting on a reconstructed complete works of Shakespeare rewritten for dogs. <laughs> So he's directed. Um, he's directing it with the guy who uh, who plays Rocky's uh, loan shark boss. You know that guy oh, from the yeah, yeah, yeah. from the Godfather and Rocky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's his assistant director, and he's bringing to, uh, to Jason Miller all these different dogs. And so, what do you think about about this dog for him? It's just don't get me a Great Dane. That would just be too on the nose. <laughs> People start <laughs> asking questions for it. <laughs> um, and so, Stacy Keach. Um, we've talked a lot about Father Karras having this mask on him. Mm. Stacy Keach, I thought it was a strange choice to, for him to be Father Karras because I think of him um, from his later works as being a very expressive actor, like having yeah. a lot of rage and simmering. Um, mm-hmm. So the Ninth Configuration gives you a good look at what he might have done as Father Karras, where he has all that rage and, mm-hmm. and all that that stuff behind the eyes, but he's incredibly, incredibly soft-spoken. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and really, really uh, buttoned down until he can't take it anymore. So oh. that's and so it's interesting to see them have scenes together now knowing that Stacey Keach was replaced as Father Karras by right. Jason Miller. 
You have the two the two would be father well the one Father Karras and the would be Father Karras playing right. uh, opposite of each other. That is really cool. In very funny scenes about with dog actors coming in, <laughs> <laughs> like there's that dog that looks like a mop. You know, I don't know what yeah, breed yeah. that is. Yeah, and, and that's mm. the lead dog uh, who's going to play um, who's going to play Hamlet, and I guess Mark Antony. <laughs> <laughs> and Julius Caesar, they're sort of mixing them together. Didn't Jason Miller like have a line? His character is, is like, he's like, no, Lawrence Olivier, you or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the main relationship in the ninth configuration, though, is with uh, Stacey Keach's uh, psychiatrist who is working with an astronaut played by Scott Wilson. Okay. And Scott Wilson's character, it turns out, was um, going to the moon and was on the launch pad in an Apollo mission and then had a nervous breakdown and stops going to the moon. He stops the uh, on the launch pad during the countdown and wow. has a nervous breakdown and stops and has to be pulled off of it. And he yells in front of everybody, you know, all the cameras and stuff for the Apollo mission um, that, that the mission is doomed and that no one should go to the moon. We can't go to the moon. Wow. Yeah. So when when uh when Blatty was writing the novel Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, which became the ninth configuration, mm-hmm. um, he had this character that he wrote, and that character um has some kind of resolution, but it's more of an ambiguous story. And then he wrote The Exorcist, and in his mind, Mm-hmm. Uh, again, so in his headcanon, but he's the writer of both of these. Right. This, so his headcanon is kind of like the objective <laughs> thing, I, I guess. Suppose, but it's not written down anywhere. But but that astronaut right. in the ninth configuration is the same astronaut in The Exorcist. Wow. So, of course, the the timing of it now, because <laughs> uh, because The Exorcist takes place in some kind of unspecified early 1970s, right? Right. Um, the ninth configuration movie takes place sometime still during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, so, potentially, The Exorcist is a uh, prequel to the ninth configuration, or, or however you want to say it. Interesting. Where Reagan says to him, <laughs> you're going to die up there, and then he has a freak out uh, and, uh, and, and says, we can't go to the moon, we can't go to the moon, we can't go to the moon. Some little girl told me I was going to die out there. <laughs> She's on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> She's on the wing. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have confirmation because we don't have the name of this astronaut. He's not named in the book right. or the screenplay or the movie. Um, but yeah, as far as Blatty was concerned, they were the same. And they're played by different actors. Scott Wilson right. in the other movie is a I was going to say that, actor. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so so this is taking place before the ninth configuration. If you're trying to make it into a Bladdyverse and make everything make sense, right? Um, and that character, um, the ninth configuration is a very very interesting movie. Um, mm. There is is it's very funny at the beginning, and then it gets very serious. There's some imagery that is completely shocking. Some people uh, called it the most. Uh, surrealistic film that we have from the Hollywood studio system. And I think that's Mm. pretty close. Um, There is a shot that is really disturbing and really famous that um, I don't think I'm spoiling because now it's the poster to the movie when you try to buy it on Amazon. And uh, it wasn't the original poster, but it is a shot of our astronaut on the moon. um, And he is, he's walking through the moon and over uh, these voiceovers about the meaning of life and meaning of death and very bladdy ass stuff. And Mm. he turns to look and the shot pulls out some more and there is a a crucifixion. There's Jesus being crucified on, on the moon. And so it's a shot of, of the crucifixion with an astronaut on the moon watching it. And, uh, yeah, that's quite something else. You maniacs. <laughs> you crucified him. Damn you all to hell. He came to bring peace. <laughs> and you washed your hands. <laughs> Get your paws off me, you damn dirty Roman. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite something else. You should watch the rest of it at some point. Quite a good movie. That was the first movie I saw of the new year, and I was very happy. Interesting. Okay. Well, okay. Now I have to see it. I I was not aware that Jason Miller was in it, mm-hmm. uh, much less that he was uh, uh, doing a comedic role in there. And I'm just, I'm such a sucker for seeing um, dramatic actors doing comedic roles. I love yeah. it so much. Um, and vice versa. I love, I love seeing an actor that I know of from one movie do something completely different in another movie. Yeah, I think it's a good um, crossover because we talk about Blatty being this comic writer, um, but where do we, so how does he get to all these deep existential themes? And the Ninth Configuration has both of them in equal measure. Nice. Yeah, so everybody check out Ninth, Con- Ninth Configuration, and I certainly will as well. Um, and so, yeah, then we have the beginning of the famous scene here, Reagan staring at this guy while she pees on mm. the rug. And again, folks, Pay attention to how this demon behaves. I know, like I just said, that I like how unique it is, but also I believe there is a purpose behind all of this. There's a reason that he's not just 
piloting Reagan's body so he can like shoot fire and lightning and talk about hell and steal your soul, right? Typical Hollywood devil stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Our Captain Howdy doesn't spit fire. He spits green pea soup, right? Why? There's a reason. He's, He's not attacking anyone here. He's just being gross and disturbing. Like most of his attacks, we'll see that they're rooted in repulsion, mm-hmm. right? He is repelling people, right? This is a repellent behavior. More importantly, this is a human repellent behavior. A lot of the stuff that he's doing is stuff that humans do, natural human bodily functions, right? There's one or two supernatural things, but we'll get to those when we get to them. But for now, keep in, keep that in mind, how this demon behaves. I personally think it's important for later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, our, our minute ends, as we said, with Chris looking deeply concerned and asking, Reagan? And we'll have to wait until the next minute to see how the rest of this scene plays out. Mm. Um, but yeah, Keenan, is there anything else uh, we want to talk about in this minute? No, we covered a lot of ground. Folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Dees, and you could find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. Our website for the show is theexorcistminute.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. So if you want to uh, share us with your friends, right, you can head on over there and give us a little like and a follow. Um, we'll also have like updates on the show and uh, little memes and stuff like that from uh, specifically the uh, the Exorcist Minute Facebook page. And we also have a listener group on on Facebook. It's called uh, Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. Uh, just request to join and we'll let you in. Uh, and then you can be in here with us and you can talk about the movie, interact with us, um, interact with other fans of the of the movie and the show. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, of course, if you'd like to leave us a message, uh, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail.com, all one word. Um, we definitely want to hear from you. We want to hear your story um, in connection with this film, how you how you got introduced to it, like what was the scariest moment for you what's your who's your favorite character Um, what's your ideal vision of heaven (laughs) what's your ideal vision of heaven yeah um yeah we want to hear all of that stuff um lastly if you like the show and you want to help us out the best thing you can do for a new podcast that is just starting out is to leave us a little five-star review and that'll help the algorithm that'll help uh, other people find us and we can we can keep growing uh this cool community i've already met so many uh cool people already i want to meet uh i want to meet more of you guys so yeah um so yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Archie Bunker, Bunker compels you. Oh, Boyd away, Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like, like us, we had it made. Those were the days. days. And you knew where you were then. Girls were girls and men were men. Mr. Mr. We could, could use a man, man like Herbert Hoover, Hoover again. again.